2: Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your need to know financial podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Candace Burke. And I'm Felicity
3: Thomas. Thanks for joining us today. Again, we have a very, very special, exciting guest, the CEO and co-founder of Playside Studios, which is actually
2: listed on the ASX under the code P-L-Y. Now, for those of you not up to scratch, with PlaySide Studios, don't worry, after this episode you'll know a lot about Play. PlaySide is Australia's largest independent video game development studio with capabilities across mobile, PC and console. So essentially what we're going to hear today is Play has done a great job at diversifying its book in that it develops original IP, but it also engages in work for hire projects and delivers publishing services in the gaming industry.
3: Jerry Sarkis has spent over 15 years in the games industry. He's a young, passionate leader who takes a creative visionary approach to leading his team. And you'll really hear that in this episode. Now, he actually started his professional career at EA Games as a tester, and over the next four years, made his way to lead designer of the Melbourne studio. And he's worked on games such as Dead Space, The God Father 2
2: and Dante's Inferno. But really, Felicity, as per the chat with him and what we're all going to hear is he's really hands on, right? He's really quite incremental in a lot of these game developments. So really great to see such um, an inspirational CEO. You're going to hear that when we speak to Jerry today. Uh, His strong entrepreneurial side, although he doesn't like that term, definitely shines through. Yeah.
3: You know, he's responsible for leading and really growing the team. I mean, Playsat has had exponential growth over the last couple of years, even though it started in 2011, uh, it did only list in 2020, December 2020. And please remember today our chat is not considered personal advice, even though we're registered advisors at and Partners. Please note that the podcast and the content discussed does not constitute financial advice, nor is it a financial product. Um, now with that, we would like to welcome Jerry Sarkis to Talk Money to Me.
2: Thanks for having me. We are so pumped.
3: (laughs) We are very excited. This is very exciting for me. I really
2: love Playside. You know this, Candice. I've been in it since December 2020. She doesn't stop talking about it, Jerry. So we were like, (laughs) finally, we'll just have to get Jerry on to talk more about it. So we are super pumped. I know, very excited. (laughs) So
3: to start off our conversation, we want to turn back the clock. So can you give us a bit of background and the road that actually led you to start Playside Studios? Because I know you are one of the co-founders.
4: Yes, it was a pretty long road. So I mean, after high school, I I did one of the first actual university courses for game development. Um, Prior to that, there were quite a few private courses, but this was the first university course. And that was at RMIT. So my mum wanted me to be a school teacher. So sadly, I've disappointed her. At the end of that, we did a lot of um, kind of like, um, you know, free stuff where we just go to conferences and meet people, met a few people, got a job in the industry at a small Melbourne games company. And then Next door, I heard sort of rumblings that EA was opening up, and there was about three or four people there at that point. Um, so I kind of went over and um, gave them my business card and said, look, if you ever need a tester, I was a tester at this point, very um, junior role, you know, let me know. And then within I think probably a month or two after that, um, they hired me, and I think the team's about five people. I stayed at EA for uh, five years, and I went from tester to junior designer to lead designer of the studio within sort of four or five years. Um, which is kind of unheard of at EA, but because it was sort of like a siloed studio, it was a bit easier to go up the ranks. And then they ended up shutting that studio down uh, and they ended up moving all of their sort of Melbourne operations to around mobile. At the time when I was there, it was all console. We were making Xbox, PlayStation games. And then so I kind of saw what they were doing with mobile and I'm like, well... I don't really want to work again for five years. We didn't launch a single game while I was there because they canceled it. So I was like, I don't really want to do this again for five years and not have anything to show for it. They wanted me to go to the States. Um, And then I thought, look, this whole mobile industry is sort of going to take off. And so I started talking to my friends, um, Aaron and Mark, uh, my two co-founders. Mark's actually a, uh, he was a broker and investment banker at the time. So I I reached out to him. I said, look, I need some investment. Show me the money. Um, (laughs) And he was going to go to his clients and instead uh, Mark and Aaron invested. Uh, Those two came in i pretty much took my redundancy package from ea and paid myself for the first year and then from there we we built the studio we hired three people from ea at that point um so that was kind of the way we started the studio it was like these ex-EA team are now making mobile games and so from that we kind of the, the main thing we wanted to do was do really quality products from the beginning we just worked on one game for a year and just sort of put out a product that you know, we could be proud of, and it could show what was possible on mobile in a time where most of the mobile games were all very two D, very basic stuff. We were bringing like console-looking graphics to it at that time. You look at it now, and it looks a bit old, but <laughs> at the time, it was very good. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of how it all started. So, yeah, I mean, my background is um, is in design, uh, you know, game design specifically. So I can do art and all that sort of stuff as well, but it's mainly around just the design of the games and all that. So. These days, even still with 200 people, I'm still very sort of hands-on with a lot of the projects, um, wherever wherever they need me. That's how we began.
3: I guess everything happens for a reason, right? So it shut down and kind of led you into um, this route, which has been so successful uh, so far.
4: Yeah, it's funny, like, you know, when people get made redundant. You're almost forced to make a change yeah. that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have done. Um, you know, I, w- I was thinking about things like that, but I was never, you know, they say entrepreneurs, you know, they sell lemonade at lemonade stands and wash cars. And I was, I never did that. I just played games. Um, so, <laughs> so, like, yeah. um, so I never had that really entrepreneurial I mean, I'd done things before I'd have online stores and just little things, um, but I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur at that point. So I kind of was forced into it. And yeah, so it's funny how sometimes redundancies can definitely, you know, change your life in a very good way forever and the life of at this point, 200 people as well. So yeah, it's good.
2: When you were younger, what games were you playing? And has that do you think shaped your career and your inspiration of what you're doing at Playside? Because you've really rolled out some fantastic work for hire contracts with the likes of Activation Blizzard, Meta, two games to name a few. So just wanna, you know, hear your thoughts on is your personal taste you know, rolling through that um, and then just more broadly about the the contracts that you've signed up?
4: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, when I was younger, there weren't very many multiplayer games around at that point. These days, that's pretty much all I play. But back then, um, I was playing things like The Legend of Zelda, um, the Mario 64 games. You know, my main console, I think, at the point where I was really playing games was probably the Nintendo 64, GoldenEye, all the really good games of that era. Um, But I think from very young... I was always sort of obsessed with Disney, obsessed with branded content, you know, like seeing what Disney did with Pixar and, yeah. and and why they even acquired Pixar. And I was really interested in all of that stuff. I understood from pretty early on what made a brand good. Like I, I could see it. Um, and so a lot of the games I ended up sort of playing were ones that you know, ended up being really, really big games, but maybe at the time when they came out, they weren't. And it was just because I could kind of pick up on what made a game good, but also what made a brand good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, the original games I used to play were very story driven these days. I'm pretty much only into sort of esports esque games like League of Legends and Fortnite and Call of Duty, things like that. Um, but my early days were very much, yeah, story-driven, fantasy-driven games. I was always into Lord of the Rings and, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So that's why, obviously, you know, we launched Age of Darkness, um, probably heavily inspired uh, by themes that I like. But, yeah, we, a lot of us here are very much into fantasy and World of Warcraft is probably, you know, the game that most of us play the most. So a lot of, a lot of different games, but um, mainly in that sort of theme. I've I'm, I'm never really been into sci-fi or anything like that, apart from, say, Star Wars, but the rest of it has always been fantasy.
3: And so how did you, I guess, start these contracts? I mean, how did you place, like, get known in the industry? Did these big companies, because these are huge names, right? Did they come to you or did you go to them? Like, how did that all happen?
4: Yeah, so I've kind of always said that the one thing we've done consistently for 10 years is not get lucky. We've always just consistently grown. Um, and so that was from the very start, you know, we didn't get lucky and have Nickelodeon or universal reach out to us. It was, you know, we put that year into making that really good product. And even though the product was called catch the Ark, uh, if anyone wants to go and look at it, and it was very like crash bandicoot esque looking for a time. Once I said when it was very, um, low, low polygon stuff, And so all the movie companies were like, hold on, these guys can do like a very small team. We can pay them pretty little back then um, to do almost movie quality branded content. Um, And that's why Nickelodeon just reached out to us to begin with, you know, back in those days, there weren't games coming out every second on the store. So when we launched, we were maybe one of, you know, 10 games for that week that were all featured. And they used to feature games for a very long time. So, you know, Nickelodeon Universal on the app store, they're seeing all the top sort of games that look good. And we were the one that Apple was showing off banners of and You know so regardless of whether the game you know made a couple hundred grand back then but you know what it did for us brand wise was really big and so the two first contracts were um nickelodeon with spongebob which obviously is one of the biggest ip in the world Mm -hmm. so after that it was very easy Um, and there was another company called mind candy which back in the day they did moshi monsters um and then now they do moshi sleep which is um like a kid's meditation app, which we've also Mm -hmm. launched a similar one recently. Yeah, that that were two kind of big brands, but Nickelodeon really kicked us off. And then from there, it was just an onslaught. We just did every Warner Brothers game you could think of. Every every movie Warner Brothers was doing, we were launching a game for it. We even did like the Peter Pan movie. Like we were just doing anything that they were launching. But you know, along the way that they were doing that, I was sort of telling them, I'm like, because their whole thing, the way Warner Brothers and a lot of the movie companies were split up was interesting. They came from kind of sales and marketing, got these big budgets to make games. And I was kind of telling them, look, you know, you guys have got a game section of the company. Let us make, take SpongeBob or take Batman and actually make a lot of money out of these games. I think Batman did like 30 million downloads and it, it monetized zero. They didn't want to put money in it. So I was kind of telling them at the time, like we could be making a lot of money off this. Let's just do it properly, and that ended up being their downfall. That they didn't do that. They ended up just basically nowadays, all the movie companies pretty much just license their stuff to people like us. Right. Um, but at that point, there, there was millions of dollars left on the table that I think the way that the structure was set up just it wasn't able to handle that. It was just seen as a mark. It was a seen as a way to it's get people right? to watch. Move. Yeah,
2: you're saying it's their yeah. brand power.
4: Yeah, because this was a time where gaming wasn't as big as movies, Mm. you know, it was like, we need to get people from the games to the movies. Now there's the opposite. They want to get people from the movies to the games. So, um, I was kind of teaching them on like where that was going. And then I think over time, it just naturally went that way. Um, and so these days our only work with Hollywood really is in licensing us taking their brands and doing it. Most of our work for hire is, as you said, the bigger studios now.
2: It sounds like you were at the right time at the right opportunity, you know, because they were missing that opportunity, seeing it as a brand marketing exposure and you guys were there ready to take it up so sounds like it was really great timing and I would just be fascinated to know how long it takes on average to make a game like the developers the team the rollout from start to finish
4: yeah it um it, it depends on the game every game is slightly different um you can get very small casual games like our games like animal warfare um which can take anywhere from say you know two to three months, two to four months. And then you've got the bigger mobile titles like Legally Bond and Godfather, which is you know a year to two years. Um, and then you've got console titles, which are around two years as well plus. Um, so you know, Grand Theft Auto, which is just leaked everywhere online. That's a massive um, issue currently for uh, Take Two is a, like a 10-year product. So the length of the time we've had this studio, they've been working on one game. So it can take a long time when you know it's a guaranteed yeah. revenue if you get it right. Um, if you're a studio as big as Take Two, you can take way bigger risks and work on one product with 500 people for 10 years and know it's going to pay off. You know, for us, we, we try and get things done in a, in a really responsible way while we're still quite small.
3: Of course. You know what was actually really interesting? So I know that you made those bean NFTs, in a
2: weekend,
4: yep. right?
3: Yep. Yeah. That's so quick. And they sold for like, it was like $8 million for the business. Yeah, so I
4: mean, when I, when I say that I made them in a weekend, it was probably a comment that I made to um, to one of the guys at Shores. <laughs> I, it's the the idea for it and the initial concepts for it were all done sort of in a weekend. Um, and then over the next couple of weeks, I worked with the team. That was a project that I was very heavily involved with from an art point of view. Yeah. I, I'd worked on the Dumb Ways to Die brand for so long that I wanted to make sure that we did it justice, but also that we put our own sort of more newer touch to it, which is something that's pretty hard to do with that brand. And I think we did it pretty well. Um, But yeah, it was a couple of weeks work. Really, it was just our way of going, look, here's the beginning to that sort of what we think that space will look like over the next couple of years, we're actually going to show you and we're going to make products for it but that was the very, very much just the beginning of that space for sure.
3: Yeah. How exciting. I thought that was very cool. Um, Now, I guess you just kind of mentioned this before, but you've got over a portfolio, really over 52 different games currently. A well-known one is Call of Duty, which is played religiously actually in my household. Could you tell us a little bit more about the key titles that are going to be released in FY23? So like The Age of Darkness, Legally Blonde, which is pretty exciting and The Godfather. I mean, I absolutely love those movies.
4: Yeah. So Legally Blonde is now officially out where we're we're starting to get some testing through getting users through we did that in soft launch as well but now that it's really out um, we can get some global um, results back and you know these games can last for years you know we're talking uh, Candy Crush is still making the same amount of money 10 years down the track Candice
3: loves Candy Crush (laughs) yeah I'm still addicted
4: (laughs) This is why we've made Legally Bond. So make sure actually jump on that. Yeah, um, I will. Yeah. So the, the the key demographic for Candy Crush is like women over the age of 30, and and the the key demographic that Tick. spend. Yeah. The key, Tick. De- key demographic that spend are like women over the age of 50. That's like makes up most of their audience. So in my mind, I'm like, what movie is going to sort of you know talk to that group of people? Um, and so that's why we did Legally Bond. But that's out um, over the course of the next year, we'll start to slowly ramp up um, you know, user acquisition on it, get users in. we do things very responsibly here. We don't just kind of just go and burst users into the game. We, we do it as we're growing the actual lifetime value of the users in the game. So we're never overpaying for users. We're trying to do it profitably or at least break even wherever we can in the beginning. Um, and then we start to ramp as we're very confident with our numbers. Something like Legally Blonde, it's gonna take about six months to a year to figure out how much a user actually spends in the game. The <laughs> sure so both of you have played Candy Crush. I doubt either of you spent money in the first month, two months, year. Um, you know, it takes a long time to get in someone to spend in a game these days. Um, and so that's where we're at with Legally Blonde. Godfather is about to launch, actually. Um, I can't say the exact date, but it's about to launch. I've actually been playing it a lot. I'm actually pretty addicted to it. Oh, great. Um, and I don't me. play our games very often, so I try not to. I try to let the teams do their stuff and I just check it, but I'm actually actively playing it. So that's a good sign. Um, so, yeah, that should be launching pretty soon. Um, and then the two main console titles are Age of Darkness which goes into global launch early next year and World Boss which will also be out uh, in the next month or so. So World Boss is an interesting one. It was one that it's a game that we kind of signed up early on in our in our sort of IPO career. You know, we, we did it with, when we first IPO'd, so it was just a sort of big announcement that we're working with these influencers, um, Laserbeam and Fresh, Laserbeam, if anyone's got kids, they know who Laserbeam is, um, biggest influencer in Australia, top 10 or 20 in the world. Um, so... You know, we we started making this first person shooter, and the whole way along, I'm like, look, this is going to be good. Like, it'll do, it'll do okay, but how well? Like, it's a first person shooter. We're going up against Call of Duty. We're going up against Fortnite. It's not like Age of Darkness. It's niche. It's you really need to grab a part of the market that is already obsessed with Call of Duty and Fortnite. Yeah. It's actually quite hard to do. But as we've been going, I, I'm getting more and more confident about it in terms of it actually making probably more money than I thought might not. Um, but, you know, at the moment we've got people from like FaZe Clan playing it. Like we've got some of the biggest names in the world playing it without us even telling them or paying them to do it. They're just literally Hooked. finding the beta code and playing it on Twitch. They had like a 1,000 people at a time watching them. So that's like 30 to 50,000 people in a stream um, all watching our game that's not even released yet. So And so far all of the sort of... You know player reactions to so it would have all been really positive so I'm, I'm pretty excited about world boss probably more so you know i did it originally to put us on the map you know having laser beam even talking about play side talking about a game we've made together it would put us on the map regardless of how much money it makes uh, but now I'm, I'm kind of pretty interested to see how well it can do it's a freemium game so it relies on the same sort of model as call of duty and Fortnite, um where you know you're selling skins of guns and characters in the game so We'll see how we go. It's one of the, the, those ones was always a wild card. The other ones are all pretty certain, um, but we'll see how well the wild card does.
2: Well, just listening to all of that, like it's, you obviously know what the market wants. Um, and I think you're kind of, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're sort of anticipating and leading it, right? And hearing that all these massive fan bases are coming to you without them being prompted by PlaySide and wanting mm. to play these new games, it really talks to the innovation and the new ideas and fresh ideas that you're rolling out. So I want to go there with you w- without giving away too many spoilers. Like, is there any new tech or features that you're rolling out in these new games that you're launching? Because I think that's the key to success now is there's we're such a crowded market space lots of competitors like how are you going to stand out um, from the others out there
4: yeah our goal as a studio has uh, the mantra for the studio at least has always been to try new technology wherever we can uh, and that usually means launching a product within that type of uh, landscape so vr was the perfect example we launched the first the, when oculus brought out the oculus touch controls which are now the Controls that everyone uses. We launched one of the first games on it, which was Zombie Riot. Um, when Apple brought out AR Kit, which was their augmented, develop, um, augmented reality device uh, for the phones, we had the first game on it and we. we took up 30 percent of all the downloads for augmented reality games with ar dragon and so we we put ourselves in a position to be first just in case it really takes off when when it's first starts that's never usually the case usually when these technologies first come out there's a lull of about five years and then they come back so you look at vr now two of the work for hire deals we're doing internally are vr related and they're massive massive deals and they're only using us because we did zombie riot then we backed that up with walking dead for a work for hire contract with skydance so you know, you get yourself in the space. And that's why, you know, a lot of games companies are sort of like, Oh, web three is terrible, no one wants to touch web three, blah, blah, blah. But it's like we don't know where it's going. Yeah. You know, I agree mm. with a lot of what they're saying to begin with. Um, there are many, many issues with web three as we talk right now, but there were also many issues with email in the beginning. Everyone was getting those things that go to our junk mail right now were not going to junk mail back in the day. So we need to be there in the beginning and hopefully be there when it really takes off. And that's the point of what we're trying to do in web three, web three doesn't have many good game developers at the moment. Right. So we want to be one of the main game developers in that space that can really put out good products. You know, we, we want to come at it from a more triple A you know, perspective. And so for me, the future of gaming at least at least what i can see right now is going to be in in vr i think the vr and ar is where it's all going so we always want to be there but i feel like this sort of the idea of a smart contract in nfts is that yeah you can buy something on the blockchain that is always there and, and you can see it i can see it we can all see a proof of receipt of it and that's going to be needed in some form of metaverse in the future so whether it's called web3 whether it's called nfts doesn't really matter the idea of Having a digital receipt for something, uh, even in the VR metaverse esque world that we might live in in ten to twenty years, um, you know that that's going to exist as well. So that's why we try to play in everything so we can fully understand it while we keep our key focus on monetizing mobile, making great console and, P- and PC games, um, and then so it's it's a hard balance, right? Because you've got to do all these things at once, and that's why we've got multiple teams. You know, we don't have the Web three team working on console. We don't have the console team working on mobile. They're all very siloed and doing their own thing Um, and they all have different visions you know we're never going to put nfts in age of darkness we're never going to even bother with web 3 in age of darkness um so it's things like that um there's different spaces for different things and we try as much as we can um, to make sure that you know we're, we're always ahead of the curve because the other game studios right now worldwide, none of them have released a Web three product as that's done as well as Beans, um, and that's just our first project. I
3: love it because you're really trying to be first to market, and it seems like yep. you have so far, which is so important, right?
4: Yes, and, and and you know I think there's just different ways of doing it. I feel like the biggest studios like to take their time; they they take two to three years to come up with a product. By that time. The whole market's changed, and you've probably been working on a product that's no longer worth it. For me, with beans, it's like let's just see if people even want to play a game that's got the dumb wasted eye characters in it, and then we'll make them the game. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing for the last year. Um, so you know, there's ways to do it, and and I think for us now you know, I was looking at the top sort of 20 brands um, that have launched in NFTs and we're talking Nike, Adidas, all that sort of stuff. It wasn't really looking at gaming brands, but for me, Ways to Die is a brand. It's not necessarily a game. We're like in the top 10 of all brands that have ever launched on an NFT. So, you know, the, the AFL, for instance, launched an NFT collection last week, they made 250 grand. So we, we did nine mil or something or whatever it was yeah. in two weeks. So it's pretty big. And I think, you know, obviously the crypto market kind of crashed after that, uh, but that hasn't slowed us down at all. I think it's we're not doing it for the the price of the, of Ethereum or anything like that. We're doing it literally because we believe in the actual technology um, and what it can pro- provide players. And what it can provide players is ownership. And in Call yep. of Duty or Fortnite, you buy a skin, you buy a gun, you don't own it. They, you, I've spent thousands of dollars in Fortnite. If they wanted to shut down my account, they can, and I don't own any of it. Yeah. With this, the idea is that... You'll be able to buy a skin in Fortnite one day and then I'll be able to take that and sell it on eBay. And it makes perfect sense, but there's just no real way to do that right now. And that's what Web3 will facilitate.
2: And I love hearing the balance, you're right, because you've got to be completely fresh and innovative, therefore reinvesting a lot of R&D into your tech, but then also, you know, you're running a business, you want to be profitable, right? So let's go there. Let's talk the money side, because in FY22, you reported revenue underlying EBITDA and gross free cash flow of $29.2 million, 6.8. Uh, million and 2.3 respectively. So they they're really fantastic figures for you know, let's call it a pretty recent IPO, right? And in volatile times, so how do you find that balancing act, Jerry, of you know completely leading the path there in the gaming world? um, and then, you know, driving the bottom line, I guess, what would be the most successful game to date that you would go? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, money, the winner. Nick. Maybe the
3: beans,
4: Funny because you like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, beans, yeah. beans is definitely the most profitable. Um, and that's probably a good example of how to do it, right. Is that you need to take small risks in new spaces and with, with zombie riot cost us, I think at the The time we developed it was like 150 grand to develop. So it looks like a game that was millions of dollars. Like the same way that Age of Darkness looks like a game that would have cost 30 million dollars to make. We did it with a couple million. So. We've always been really good at getting a product out in its most MVP form to see whether the market even likes it. Um, that's what we did with Beans. Um, that's what you do with mobile games. You soft launch them. And that's what we did with Age of Darkness. We put it into early access and let the community decide what they want from it. Um, and it's really important as a small to mid, mid-sized mid studio to do that because if we spend two or three years working on a really big product and it doesn't pay off and we have put all of our eggs in one basket, then as not just a public company, but even as a private company, you're pretty much done at that point, yeah. you know, and we, we don't ever want that to be the case. So we try and take as many shots at goal as we can um, without, you know, burning out ourselves or without doing too much um, and scaling as we go. Um, and obviously with, with having work for hire there, work for hire, the, you know, the, the profits in the, from work for hire, it allows us to pay for our own original IP. Um, And that's how we scale slowly. So when you see us get to 200 people, one day if you ever see us get to 300 people, 400 people, that's only ever going to be if we're signing more work for hire projects or one of our original IP have really kicked off. We don't just add people for the sake of making new products. We, We kind of always do it cohesively and together with the work for hire division we still very much run PlaySide like a private company. It's, you know, the three founders have still got the the major uh, percentage of the company and we run it like it's our own company still and we always will. And we do, and it might for instance, take us longer to get to where we need to get to, but we're going to do it in a very responsible way and not have to raise money all the time. We're not going to ever need to you know, fire staff. Um, so that that's why we do it like this. We still treat it like it's our own and the, the money's all ours and that we have to spend it correctly. And that's really important to me and to my two co-founders as well. Yeah,
3: it's your baby, right? And I think it's so important for investors listening to know that, you know, you've got a lot of skin in the game um, and the management co-founders are still very heavily involved. That's always a green tick from us when we look at companies to invest in. Now, in a moment, we're going to discuss a few upcoming catalysts and nut down on the financials. But first, let's hear from our sponsors.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
3: Delivering on the 15.7 million contracted work for hire book in place through FY23, why was Play selected to work with these major developers? I mean, is there scope for more, bigger work from these studios? And is work for hire becoming a bigger part of how large global studios operate?
4: Essentially, it's funny because in the beginning, um, you know, I would talk to a lot of uh, investors and I'd say, look, we we hope that as we grow, um, the original IP ends up taking over the main percentage of our revenue and, and we can slowly, slowly move away from work for hire and do that. A do original ip only that's still the goal long term you know 10 years from now the goal is that we've got one or two major products out that are a fortnight or call of Duty esque product and we're making the majority of the revenue of on those to the point where doing work for hire would make no sense anymore and we're, we're reinvesting all of that into new titles right or into also supporting those titles currently though the work for hire division has grown a lot faster and a lot stronger than i actually expected it would uh, in the beginning and what i mean by that is you know, pre-IPO, we were doing the, the Hollywood-style deals. They were, they were all kind of smallish. They were one-mil one type deals. And, and in my mind, I was thinking, you know, how many of these can you really do a year? Because whether the title is $1 million, whether the title is $20 million, whether it's $100 million for a work for high deal, the client still wants the exact same thing. They still want a level of quality. They want to be spoken to every day. There's things that you have to do with a client. And so my, in my head, I'm like, how do you even scale that, Right. Now, I'm starting to get to a point where I could actually see how we could scale that. Um, and it is working with these more AAA developers that you know, they understand how to make games. There's no headaches. We make the best products for them. They're happy. They get us to do more work. Um, being a CEO myself, I know that I'm always searching for teams like that. Um, so I can see why they keep using us because we are very you know, we're very loyal to our work for hire clients and we always go above and beyond where we need to. And we've never missed any milestones. Um, so the work for hire division is growing. To answer the question about, you know, do the major studios do it, that's why a lot of people choose us because the major studios don't really need to do it. Um, They've usually got an original IP that's already generating a lot of revenue for them where they can say no to all those types of things but... EA, Activision, all those guys back in the day—they all started. Zynga, you know, Rovio—they all started doing work for hire. That's that's how game studios start off. And then the amount of stuff that you learn, the amount of technology IP that you gain in those years is what ends up making you able to make the really good original IP. So we've always done both at once. Um, it's saying that we'll always do until we no longer need to, and you know, until the original IP is so profitable that it just the headcount would never make sense on a work for hire deal. Um, so that's kind of how i'm looking at it right now i'm I, i'm definitely a lot more positive about where work for high is going in terms of actually being able to scale it because I never thought that it was something that could really be done. But there are examples worldwide of some work studios that are doing hundreds of millions, if not billions in revenue of pretty much just that sort of work-as-a-service type model. Um, there's a studio called Keywords, for instance, which is an amazing example of a studio that mainly does a lot of work for other major console studios, but they also provide quality assurance, they provide server maintenance, they do everything. Um, so there is that model. It's not a model that I'm 100 percent looking at doing at this point. You know, my, my focus is original IP. However, that is there to grow as we grow. So um, it's it's really good to have a healthy mix. I'd say for now,
2: definitely different revenue streams for sure. Yeah, it's all about diversification. Just listening to you there, you know, it makes sense, right? You can focus on the two, while the IP kind of grow in the background, um, and then that kind of leads me to Jerry. What is the risk out there? Do you think in the gaming sector right now? Like what kind of keeps you up at night, you and the team, when you're balancing these two different segments of the business?
4: The risk not just for gaming, but for media, for any form of technology or app company right now is virtual reality and augmented reality. No one was a like can remember what the iPhone did to mobile within two two years. The App Store completely changed the mobile landscape. I worked in uh, a mobile store quite, when I, in retail for a while. There were new devices out every single month. The iPhone came out and all those devices went away and it was just iPhone and Samsung. Um, and iPhone just changed the landscape of mobile gaming forever. There was no mobile games before that. They were very basic JavaScript stuff that you'd play for you know a minute and put down. Like Snake? Snake, things like that. <laughs> Snake. Snake was amazing. Yeah. The rest of them, not so good. But this, these things happen overnight. Now you know if you're invested in Snapchat, um, if you're invested in Spotify, uh, any form of app that is really reliant on a mobile phone that entire industry will change not even over not even in over a year we're talking in half a year if you look at what the apple watch did and how much money and how quickly that transformed the landscape of watches they pretty much went anything that's no longer a luxury watch we own that whole market now like we own everything if you were going to go and buy a g-shock you're going to go and buy an apple watch Um, and they changed what people can do with their with their uh watches the second, that, and it's going to be Apple because Apple is essentially a luxury brand company at this point. They're not really a technology company anymore. When Apple brings out glasses, next year they're kind of rumored to bring out a vr headset that won't change too much to begin with it'll be very much gaming related but as the second they bring out glasses that can show google maps on your phone messages popping uh, sorry on your glasses messages popping up in your glasses all this sort of stuff the need for a mobile phone will vanish overnight and any app any technology that relies on mobile phones will be done forever Um, and then kids growing up with just that device and only knowing glasses as a form of what what their gaming experience is like they'll probably no longer want to play console games either so the whole gaming landscape will change to what can i see in front of me what can i touch what can i feel um turning this room into a game itself that's where the future of gaming is going and that that will happen very fast the technology already exists. I've used all of it. it, it, it I yep. can do all of that right now. It's just right now they haven't put it to retail. Um, the second that Apple does it, everything changes for everyone. And so it does. It keeps me up at night because I'm happy that we're already in that space. But it, it keeps me up at night more from a positive point of view. This should have happened three years ago. And the fact that it's taking- It's exciting a while, you, you can yeah, tell. I'm excited. I want to I hurry up and start doing it because I can see it. Um, but it's something that everyone should be looking at.
2: I agree completely. And what do you think just quickly uh, on Musk talking about we need a chip potentially in our brain to keep up with how fast technology is going so we can communicate because we're actually the slow link here yep. at how quickly. So just quickly thoughts on that because that's yep. a bit crazy if you think about it, right?
4: It is, um, but he's a much smarter man than me. So I think, um, I think that's where it ends up. I think in the beginning what's going to happen is this. Well, There's going to be like a transition. The first transition will be we get the glasses and we can see, right? At that point early on, and hopefully someone quotes this in a few years so I can be right, (laughs) early on there will probably be a mobile phone that you need to use with it. Same way that when the Apple Watch came out, the mobile phone was still the way that you'd use the Apple Watch. Also because you can't put too much in the headsets, they need the uh, the mobile phone to power it. So that's where it will start. Eventually the mobile phone will go away and it will more than likely be your hands that you can touch things, do whatever. It will then transition pretty much only to voice everything will be voice controlled uh where you're looking in the glasses will matter you know it's already rumored that they've already got eye tracking they've got mouth tracking for smiling all that sort of stuff for avatars right then where does it go it can only then go to some form of chip that we all have like Neuralink, um, that kind of knows what we want to do so if you imagine that you're in call of duty it knows who you're looking at where what gun you want to pick up and then it just kind of happens you'll you'll literally be able to just kind of sit back and actually play the game based on your own reflexes in your mind um my god and so that's where it ends up but that's 20 20 30 years away still that part of it but we we can we can get there much faster than people would think The technologies goes like that like it's just it, it's exponentially, you know, the way it grows is is insane, some of the things I've seen so far.
3: Amazing. So, I guess this is potentially a pipe dream or something that Playside could be working on in the future. So, it's kind of watch this space and we might quote you in about maybe 10 years. I mean, you do things a little bit quicker. <laughs> you do things a little bit quicker than the normal, um, the normal person. Uh, <laughs> so, well, I think this is a space to watch. Now, what's really exciting is you guys have recently released another division. Yep. So the publishing division. So, I guess, what drove Play to get involved with this, and I guess, what opportunities are out there?
4: Yeah. So, publishing is a very, very large part of the gaming market, um, and it's it's not something that small developers usually get involved with, unless you know, in, like in our case, we've got we've got money in the bank, and we we know a lot about what makes a game great. Um, we we proved it with Age of Darkness. Um, so, the way publishing works, um, for those that don't know, is. A game developer will make a game. They'll get it close to, you know, a prototype or even an MVP. They put trailers out. People like the trailers. These days, people use Twitter to show off the um, the gameplay of these these games. A, a publisher can come along and make them an offer about how to get it to market maybe quicker or better. Um, They can pay for the rest of the development, they'll pay for marketing, they'll help them with things like localization, um, which is a big thing, even just in the Western market of, you know, like your character looks like this, we need to change it a little bit. So it works better in the West, Uh, just things like that, Uh, things that we have obviously done millions of times for the brands as well. So we always had essentially the ability to make these games. What we didn't have was The Missing Link, which was the IP of a publishing company. And that's why we went and hired essentially the biggest you know some of the biggest names in publishing so we got the the ex-head of publishing of team 17 who we've worked with as well great company Harley runs our entire uh, division for publishing Um, so he'll go at the moment go and talk to all the developers start to figure out what the deals are you know Harley's had decades of knowing how much to pay developers what games have worked you need that sort of IP that's the IP I don't have Um, and then we've gone and hired. marketing managers of some of the biggest companies in the world like blizzard like um, rockstar um you know we've gone and gotten a dream team to run this division we didn't just sort of come up with the fact we're going to do it and then do it so you know ea's a publisher activision's a publisher microsoft sony they're all publishers they they do develop their own games but a lot of what they do is in publishing and i think as we grow the company the publishing division will become a major part of the company um if you look at something like team 17 they do around 130 mil a year in publishing um and 30 percent of that's profit so that they're very profitable businesses it's that that's sort of what we're looking at at the moment with publishing we're talking to about yeah 20 to 30 different developers and we'll, we'll probably pick three uh to begin with we want to pick things that are quite niche and similar to age of darkness so that way we can actually make games that suit the same sort of theme so if someone plays one they'll play all of them uh, and that, that's what, how we want to start the division um, and then as it grows you know we'll, we'll branch out a little bit it's a bit
3: of cross-pollination there really which is yes. yeah awesome yeah. that's really exciting well what a great division to add to play sides Already
2: fantastic offering.
4: Yeah, it's. I think it'll be very uh, interesting to see how that goes.
2: And you're obviously very much in growth mode, like looking at your numbers. Your, your headcount kind of doubled in FY '22, so you're definitely ramping it up there with all these different departments. I guess what is the the vision? that you're seeing at the moment in terms of talent for the right people? Because in the background, we're hearing a lot about how tight the labor market is and there's a lot of concerns going on in the background, you know, so comment on there. And I guess the launch of the Gold Coast office, I imagine, plays a really fun place to work for. So um, how's that gone? I yeah, know, I can't
3: wait to visit. <laughs> we need to go visit candidates. <laughs> Maybe to play Legally Blonde.
4: You're, you're always <laughs> welcome. Um, that's that. You have to play that before you enter. That's how it works. <laughs> Look, there's, there's no secret that hiring in tech at the moment has gotten much harder, especially when it comes to engineering. Um, The gaming landscape is a a little bit different. It's more niche, which is a pro and a con. It's it's a pro because there's developers that aren't looking to leave. They're they're not interested in working for banks or software companies. Um, The the con is that it's a very small market in Australia. Um, There'd only be probably a 1,000 proper game developers in this country, if not less. Um, So, you know, we... We look for the best, and so we get a lot of people applying, but we we really do take interviews seriously. We try and add to the Playside family in a way that, you know, it's a responsible way of scaling. We don't want to just add everyone. Like if we need a project that's got 10 people, like that needs 10 people next week, We're not just going to rush to make those hires just to do it. Um, We'll delay it if we need to. Um, We have hired two recruiters that work full time for us that were once gaming recruiters in the whole industry. So that's really that's been really good, and that's allowed us to get from say 100 to 200 over the last year. Are you going
2: into the unis as well to to suss out the graduates?
4: We we, that's how we started the company. So a lot of the people that are the head of the company now have only ever worked here and they've been here from uni. We went and got them. Um, These days, because of the projects we're working on it's much harder to get uni grads in, you know, we it's very hard for us to take a uni grad and put them on a, on um, a blizzard title for instance, or on two K's game. So there are titles we can do that. And we, we try to get that as much as we can, because, You know, there are some really talented uni grads out there that are way ahead of their peers and we try and find those every year. So we're working with all the unis. We we go in there, we do talks, we help where we can. And in return, they just let us know what the best students are. Um, So we do that where we can, but it is getting harder and harder to find good junior talent at this point. And that the Gold Coast office is a great example of that. We've been able to find a lot of junior talent there to go in there. And, you know, it's almost like starting Playside again. That's how I look at that studio. It's like the early days. Um, so except they're not working out of a you know tiny little shed like we were. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, I think that's how you scale. You scale in a way that's responsible. You add people without ever fearing that you're going to need to lose them. Um, that was something that ever since EA I never wanted to do. I never wanted to make people redundant. Um, we never put people on like like we never hire casuals or anything. Every, everything is full-time, um, everything's secure. So that's how we've kind of tried to grow it. And we, we focus on team morale as much as we can. Um, and and we try and provide a good working environment for everyone to work in. Um, and that's it's all you can really do. Um, yeah. it's, it's hard these days, you know, uh, Millennials and all the different gens—they all try and move around as much as possible. Um, we've done really well at keeping them, um, and we will always try and do that. Uh, but you know, these days it is a—you uh, know—employees market, and in a way, that's good. It's made you know, CEOs like me and and others have to change the way that you run business and and really make it about the employee as well, um, if not mostly about that. So it's good. It it, it allows the companies that care more about their staff to do better. Um, so that that's hopefully where we're at right now.
3: Yeah. Well, I see all over LinkedIn, your staff, you know, posting about various things and being so happy to work there. So it's kind of like a big family and, you know, talent retention is very important. Wrapping up, um, our, one of our final questions, and this has been such a great interview. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for any game developers or entrepreneurs listening that want to get into this sector? Any advice for them?
4: It's hard. I've always had a love-hate relationship with the the idea or the word of entrepreneurs as, as a whole. Um, I think it's very much fantasized online um i think that gary v and a whole bunch of other people try and make everyone feel like they need to be the ceo or they need to be an entrepreneur and they need to make millions of dollars it's just not the case um and so if you're getting into the games industry because you love making games and because you don't want to do anything other than that then do it for those reasons don't do it to be the next play side or the next ea or the next activision those days are are very much starting to be behind us Um, it's It's starting to become that sort of bigger player industry again which isn't as fun it was always more fun when there were lots of indies around um but that's sort of where it's going same with the app space everyone's got an idea for an app that was good 10 years ago these days it doesn't really work um anything you do you look at be real which has just come out instagram copied it in the first week so these days it's very very hard to grow a new app to grow a new company so my advice would actually be almost the opposite which is don't fantasize being an entrepreneur there are there are so many stresses that come with being ceo of a company that come with running companies like this that people don't talk about people don't go into the the lonely nights that you have to stay here and and look after issues that you don't want to look after and and you know i think i came up with mark cuban or someone said that the, the the job of a of a ceo is it's always there's no there's positives but the positives are so short-lived that it's only ever really negatives it's only ever really fighting fires it's all you really ever do as a ceo as much as it's fun, that's why you have to love it, right? Um, so that's that, that's my sort of um, mantra on life: is whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're trying to be CEO, whether you're just trying to be someone that works and and climbs the the corporate ladder or whatever ladder that that is. Make sure you're doing something you love because. Otherwise, work these days can get so stressful with the way that we're all connected 24-7 through text messaging and slacking each other and teams that unless you love it, you're more than likely going to want to change careers eventually anyway. Um, and the same thing for university. If you're doing a university degree right now that you don't even see yourself doing, just drop it and, and go and work um, because that is going to be way better for you. Unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, you probably shouldn't drop the, the university. <laughs> no. for anyone else. You know, you're wasting your time. Do what you love, um, and that's all that matters.
3: I completely agree because Candace and I have always said that we absolutely love what we do, and it doesn't feel like work. Um, yep. And that makes you know it's so easy to get up in the morning and go to work because it doesn't feel like you're working because you really enjoy it.
4: And that should be the goal for everyone, really. Um, no matter what level you're at, that should be the goal for everyone. Happiness can come from working at McDonald's if that's what you really love doing. Um, so, yeah. There's days that I feel I, maybe I'd be happy working at McDonald's once once every week. <laughs> so, you know. I mean, I do love when a Big don't. Mac. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you don't put out those fires. Every 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 job position, every industry has different stresses, and so you need to be ready for those. Um, and that's why yeah. you shouldn't rush to be a entrepreneur. Just do what you love, and if it falls, you know, like it did for me, if it ends up just becoming what you do, then that's amazing. But don't make that your goal.
2: That's really really great advice. Jerry, we've had such a fantastic time chatting with you here on Talk Money To Me. One final thing that we do here as a religion to sign off with all of our special <laughs> guests is we ask you this really tough question. Are you ready? Yeah. Coffee, tea, tequila. What's your choice?
4: You uh, had to put <laughs> tequila in there. Um, I I've know, been, it's a tough one. I've been getting into the uh, spicy margaritas lately. Yeah, I've been, for some reason, I've been getting into margaritas, which is it's not good. They're, 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 they're too easy to knock back. But I'm going to go with coffee still anyway. I've got my coffee with me now. Um, but I only do one a day. You just got to do one in the morning and otherwise it becomes a very, uh, very serious addiction, which I've uh, been in before. So no more, just one a day.
2: Love it. Awesome. Well,
3: thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. That was absolutely... A fantastic episode. My mind is blown and I'm very, very excited um, for everything that we're going to be getting into virtual reality um, and following PlaySide's journey there because that sounds really, really exciting.
2: Yeah. Like just listening to him, you can just see his brain unpacking, you know, he's just thinking like five steps ahead, I believe than everyone else, which is just yeah. really exciting. So he clearly gets the space. He's very passionate. He's got that creative flair because he's an artist, like he was saying, from his from his traditional training. So I think it's just really great to see such a young, ambitious CEO on the ASX, right? Yeah. We need more of them. And
3: strong management, right? That is a key investment um, ethos of ours to follow management and he's definitely Honestly, one to follow. Before we sign off, please remember that although Candace and I are financial advisors at Shoreham Partners, please note our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, you should seek professional financial advice before making any of your financial or investment decisions. Now, everything we've discussed is based on what is known at the time, which is the 20th of September 2022.
2: And just like Jerry, we are trying to encourage the growth of our brand and the net- network effects. So please, please, please help us out here. Follow us on Instagram, which is at Podcasts. We're going to give you daily market updates. If you've enjoyed this show, also help a girl out, right? Go on to wherever you listen to your podcasts, like, review and share. We love those five stars, tickle, tickle, tickle. And remember, as always, remember, if you've got any questions or concerns or queries, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at tmtm at equitymates.com. I liked that. Twinkle, 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 twinkle little <laughs> star. We love the five
3: <laughs> stars. Five stars. Um, we will be back next week. Until next time.
2: See you then.
0: Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Meets Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional.